The views and opinions expressed on My Story Living with Lupus podcast are each individual's experience. By listening to this podcast or reading our blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. As always, consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. Hey, Susan, this is Kendall. Kendall, and welcome to I Am a, a New. I, I had just favored your podcast, and I, I hope you listen to mine as well. Killing, killing never killing the parts. Uh, I, I'm grateful that you recovered from lupus. Um, as, as a as a son of a parent that's been going through a lot of back problems. I will, I will make sure to, so I will listen to your story, and God bless. Uh, um, we, my, I, I am so happy to have you, um, as a member. Thank you. Hi, Kendall. This is Susan from My Story Living with Lupus. I thank you so much for listening. And it really touched my heart, the message that you left. Just know that I will be listening to your show. Thank you so much, Kendall. On this episode of My Story, Living with Lupus, I'll be talking about a federal raid that took place right here in Oak Park, Michigan on Tuesday of a physician and his son who was running an illegal pain clinic and bilking the Medicare system out of millions of dollars. Also, I'll be talking about step therapy. And no, I'm not talking about exercise. You'll just have to join me right here on my story living with lupus i'm susan hendricks won't you join me introducing district 36 lux eyelashes their lashes give you the most natural look and feel District 36 Eyelashes offers an array of individual lashes, mink, and human hair lashes. Their Lash Tech Yana is certified so you can go from barely there to the glam in you. Follow District 36 Eyelashes on IG or visit their store at district36.storeenvy.com or contact Yana the Lash Tech at 404-490-3649 That's District 36 Lux Island.
entrepreneur and creator of Right Side of 50, and I am my sister's keeper. Sheila Smith, motivational and empowerment speaker, is available for your next empowerment event and conference. You can book her for your next event at rightsideof50 at gmail.com. That's R-I-G-H-T-S-I-D-E-O-F-5-0 at gmail.com or call at 678-293-6821. Each one encourage one. Welcome back to another episode of My Story Living with Lupus. I'm your host, Susan Hendricks, and I'm so glad that you could join me on this Friday. But by the time you listen to this, I'll be sitting back in the doctor's office. That's right. Lupus has attacked my liver again. So I've been going back and forth to the doctor's office from Monday all the way up to Friday. Now, before we get started, I want to ask you a question. And you know what I'm about to ask. Did you grab your cup of coffee, your cup of tea? And if you're listening late at night on this Friday, did you grab your favorite glass of wine? If so, come on and join me so we can talk about the Oak Park, Michigan doctor and his son accused of running an illegal pain clinic. You know, there exist several layers to this story. Now, the raid went down on Tuesday in Oak Park, Michigan. That's about five miles from where I live. Now, there are those of us who put our trust in doctors. But have you ever wondered if the individual in the doctor's office is truly licensed? And have the medical training to administer different types of procedures on you or even injections. Just think about that. After hearing this story, hopefully it will get you to think and become proactive with your health care by asking questions to those who are rendering your health care, and also taking the time to research to see if they, and I'm talking about health care providers, have any violations or lawsuits against him or her. First, there exists an allegation of healthcare fraud, doing something and charging for something more. Allegations of not being licensed and doing some procedures 
that were not sterile. Tuesday, federal agents raided Pain Stop MD, a clinic located on Greenfield in Oak Park, Michigan. And while they were doing that, the two men running this clinic were in federal court being charged with health care fraud. Dr. Gandam Jakar, who owns the clinic, and his son Sanjay Jakar works there as well. The feds are charging both with health care fraud, stating that they were giving patients electroacupuncture devices that were not covered by Medicare, but instead billing as these devices were implantable devices, which are covered by Medicare. In all, these two individuals billed and built Medicare out of $2.7 million. Now, the second half of the story is that the son, Sanjay, the son of Dr. Gautam is not licensed. A nurse who worked in this clinic informed investigators that she watched the son perform certain procedures that were not sterile. The nurse stated that Sanjay wore non-sterile medical gloves that had a tear on the hand he wiped his nose, then with the same hand he wiped his nose with, proceeded to pick up the needle and insert it into the patient. Now see, if this was me, I would have told him, regardless of whether my job would be online or not, no, you stop right here. You just wiped your nose with the same hand that you're getting ready to insert a needle into a patient with, plus it is torn. The glove is torn. Now the son allegedly admitted to an employee that he was not medically trained and was not a doctor. The reason why he was doing it is because his father's hands were too shaky. Well, his father should have retired. But that goes to show you the greed, not with all doctors, with some, the greed within the medical field. It's a masquerade. And when I return, we'll finish up this story. If you would like to appear on an episode of My Story Living with Lupus, you can contact us at My Story Living with Lupus at gmail.com. Also visit us on our Instagram page and also our website, My Story Living with Lupus. Now, I want you to think an unlicensed, untrained individual should not, under any circumstances, administer injections 
as the risk associated with an improper insertion of the needle could be catastrophic, such as nerve damage, infection, paralysis, loss of a limb, or even death. Now, I'm just curious, what was the patient's demographics? And when I say demographics, the socioeconomic demographic, where the patient lived, and so forth. I'm curious about that. I have an idea, but I'm curious about that. You see, some patients don't have the knowledge. They believe anything a doctor would say to them, you need this, you need that. And some patients don't have family members to go with them. If this was done on elderly patients or um, patients who were in an accident or whatever the pain and the cause of the pain may be, I'm curious about the patient demographics. They were bilking the system, and usually when a doctor Bilks the system. I'm talking about here in Michigan. There is a certain patient demographic and socioeconomic level along with an educational level that they target. And I'm just curious. I'm just curious because when I heard this story, uh, me and my sister, we were watching the news and my sister said, I can't believe this. And I said, why not? I said, why not? She said, I see why you're so hard on doctors when you go in. I said, yep. And I said, when I go in, especially when a doctor, when any of my doctor refers me to another doctor, I say, yeah, yeah, I'll go. But before I go, I look up certain information, and I'm going to tell you how to do that. So you will know um, the information to help you. How to check a doctor's background and credentials. Choosing the right doctor for you. Now, it's not always possible to research ahead of time. But one important step in choosing the right doctor is to do a background check on that physician. You can research a doctor's credentials to be sure he or she is competent to take care of you. For example, you may be assigned a doctor in the emergency room or you must see a different doctor because yours is out um, say out of town when you arrive for the appointment. That's some reason why you can't check all the time. You may not have the time to do the research on the doctor before you are examined, but you can do 
as soon as possible afterwards. If you find you don't like that doctor's background, you can try to change doctors later. Where to start in checking a doctor's credentials? To research a doctor, you'll need to start with his or her name and location. Go to the Federation of State Medical Boards. That's FSMB website to check the basics with their docinfo.org search function. That's docinfo.org search function. You will find the doctor's board certification, education, states with active license, and any actions against the physician. Now when it comes down to the license, each state licensed doctors. With no license, the doctor is not allowed to practice medicine. You can further research the doctor with the state physician licensing board in each state where he or she is licensed. Board certified doctors. These are doctors may claim various board certifications and medical specialties. These credentials are verified by medical facilities who employ them or grant them privileges. But you may check board certifications as well. Doctors may be board certified in one area, but not actually practicing in a different area of medicine. Medical school and residency. This is another area you will be able to check. Actions. These are related to malpractice or other disciplinary actions brought against the physician. There will be only basic information, but this is a prompt to search further with the state licensing board and online searches. You can search the doctor's age. If you prefer a younger doctor or if you are referred to an older doctor and you and a doctor has a rapport you never know when that doctor will be retiring. So you can search that. You may be interested in seeing a doctor who has been in practice a long time and is therefore very experienced. It will help you establish whether longevity is a deciding factor in seeing a doctor. The length of practice is another um, category you'll be able to search along with um, the doctor's rating sites. You will see how the doctor is rated. If, a do if the doctors is involved in medical research, then his or her involvement in that research may be important to you. Not all doctors practice in medical research, but if they are affiliated with academic or university medical centers, 
there is a good chance they are. On the one hand, it means they are learning more about your problems, ways to diagnose or to treat it, and may be considered experts in the field. On the other hand, it may mean they are being paid by drug or other medical manufacturing companies and their recommendations to you might or not or might not be skewed. Conflicts of interest have become a major problem, revealing themselves in recommendations being made to patients that aren't necessarily in the best interest of the patient. These conflicts may mean you will be prescribed a drug you don't really need, or they may mean you are pushed into a clinical trial that is more for the benefit of the doctor than you. To learn about possible involvement in medical research, do a general online search with the doctor's name and the word publication or research. If you find the doctor has been involved in research, then you'll want to look to see whether he or she is being paid by one of those manufacturers. The doctor's personality and attitudes. Now this is one problem I have encountered numerous of times with doctors. You will want to review a doctor's personality and attitudes if you will have a long-term relationship with the doctor as a primary care doctor or in a specialty where you will have ongoing care such as cardiologists, endocrinologists, or allergists. Choosing a doctor who you will have to visit on a regular occasion over a number of years means it's important you get along with each other. Choosing one of these doctors is similar to choosing a spouse. With some of them, you may even need to be more intimate than you are with your partner. And I am, I'm not talking about sexually, but you have to establish a relationship with your doctors. I have a fantastic relationship with my primary care doctor, my nephrologist, and my cardiologist. Now, since I'm going to a new rheumatologist that my PCP referred me to, yes, I did my research on him. And I went, when I went in to see him for the first time, he sat down and he said, Susan, how may I help you? And I said, first of all, let me establish this with you. Treat me with respect. Don't treat me like I'm another Joe Blow in the streets. And I mean no harm. And I had to tell him. I just came on out and told him 
I'm educated. I was in the medical field for over 30 plus years. And I know what's going on. I said, you treat me with respect. My care is the number one concern. And you tell me what truly is going on and what to expect. Then we will have a good working partnership relationship. You cannot be timid when you're going in to see a doctor. Don't be afraid. Just because they have an MD behind their name, you don't be afraid to speak your mind. Tell them what your concerns are. Tell them to be up front with you. Why are you running this test? What will it show? We all know medicine is a guessing game. You know, they are not God. Doctors are not God. Doctor may have given them the gift of practicing medicine, but don't you dare be intimidated by them. If you have concerns, voice your concerns. Do not be intimidated. And I know some people may say that um, I disagree with what, what I'm saying. That's your opinion. But they can tell you anything just to get you in and get you out. Because my sister has, she has gone on several visits with me. And she said, how come you don't let them know your background? I said, I'm just waiting. I sit back and wait. I said, I don't expose my hand. I said, I sit back and wait and see how they're talking to me. And most of them that I've had and I've fired talked at me. And that's when I broke it down to them. And then they tried to change their attitude towards me. It's too late. It is totally too late. Some doctors have horrible bedside manners. Um, my PCP and I was talking about that yesterday. I told him they have horrible bedside manners. And I said, it's not taught. I said, some of these doctors, I wonder, do they go into this prevent profession for the money or for the love of the people and trying to heal the sick. And he said, you're right. We had a long conversation about that when I was in his office. Um, getting back to how to check a doctor's credentials. Now, a doctor with an arrogant or otherwise difficult personality won't help you nearly so much as one with a more pleasant personality. A doctor with different belief system, cultural 
or religious may make it difficult to get the care you need or want. There are two ways to get information about a doctor's personality and attitudes. Word of mouth is the best way. Talking to friends is one way to get a general assessment of a doctor with two caveats. A nice doctor is not necessarily competent. A competent doctor isn't always the most pleasant. Draw the line on what you are willing to put up with based on how difficult it is to find another doctor who practices the same specialty or offers the same services. Social media. With the rise in the numbers of doctors who either use Facebook, Twitter, or other social networking sites, it's easier than ever to use social media to determine the personality and attitudes of a doctor before you ever meet him or her. Take it from someone with experience. I'm not saying I know everything, but I do have experience when dealing with doctors. Doing a good background research on a doctor is a good way to gain confidence in your choice before you ever see that doctor. When coupled with general advice about choosing the right doctor for you, you have a far better chance of being satisfied with the relationship. That's why I say it is important to come out of your shell and to voice your concerns, your fears, even your fears with the doctor. Establish a good relationship. When I return, we'll be talking about step therapy. And no, I'm not talking about exercise. I'll explain it more right after this. Abundant Harvest Aquaponics, planting seeds to grow food and creating opportunities for people and families. You can contact this nonprofit organization at www.abundantharvestaquaponics.org. Henry Long, the author of Positive Energy 24-7. You can purchase an autographed copy of his motivational book, and you can also purchase the ebook version at writepab247.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-P-A-T-H-247.com. You can also follow him on Instagram 
at Right Path 247. Step therapy. The definition of step therapy is step therapy prevents patients from accessing treatments prescribed by their doctor. Instead, mandates a course of treatment mandated by their insurance carrier. Now, an example, say for instance, your doctor says you need not a generic, but the original drug. He prescribes the original. Your insurance company rejects it. You call back to your doctor and say, well, the insurance company rejected this medication that you prescribed. In turn, the doctor prescribes another drug, I'll say a lower drug, which may not be effective for your condition. You have to go through certain steps before you receive the correct drug that the doctor originally ordered. Step therapy determines the specific usage progression of therapeutically equivalent drug products or supplies appropriate for treatment of a specific condition. Limitations are included in the pharmacy services provider manual and attachments incorporated by reference in section R414-1-5 and may include quantity limits or cumulative limits for a drug or drug class for a specified period of time. Therapeutic duplication limits may be placed on drugs within the same or similar therapeutic categories. Step therapy, including documentation of therapeutic failure with one drug before another drug may be used or you may need prior authorization. Step therapy is a technique employed by managed care health plans to control prescription drug utilization. Step therapy will involve an automated prior authorization process developed by the contractor and implemented upon board's written approval regarding certain drugs and drugs classes. Step therapy can apply to certain drug classes or among brand and generic combinations. Step therapy tramples patients from my perspective. Step therapy hurts patients by restricting access to the right treatment. Now, substituting one for another is not the same as swapping out a Coke for a Pepsi and then having 
and RC Cola. Even the difference of these can have profound consequences for patients. Oncologists also say step therapy often doesn't take into account a patient's full medical history, although that may not always be decisive. You don't need a medical degree to realize the obvious risk. Earlier this year, Patients Rising Survey, which was conducted in partnership with Cancer Connect, found health plans routinely deny claims, drop drugs from the formulary after the plan year has begun, and employ practices such as step therapy or fail first to force patients to take less effective treatments despite the best advice from their physicians. 77% believe that step therapy or fail first causes cancer patients to take potentially ineffective treatments instead of therapy prescribed by the oncologist. Now, what are the ethical repercussions of the policies that force patients to fail first? The patients being told to use a drug we know isn't going to work, but we have to use it anyway for someone with a terminal illness. To me, that's just insane but it's the way they do things. In a recent piece published at the Chicago Tribune, an endocrinologist and the director of the Kovler Diabetes Center at the University of Chicago argues that fail-first policies contradict a provider's obligation to patients. Health insurers too often require a patient to first try and fail on certain drugs, almost always older and less costly, before providing coverage for other medications, a process known to the insurers as step therapy. So you see, when the doctor prescribes you a drug and your insurer rejects it, you go back to the doctor and tell the doctor they rejected it. The doctor calls in a less effective and less costly drug and then the insurance company will pay it. The drug is not effective to your condition so the doctor will change it to another drug. That drug is not effective. And on down the line or up the steps, and finally when you reach the top of the steps, you receive the drug 
that the doctor originally ordered for you. That is step therapy and it is harming patients. But you don't need a medical degree to see what's going on. The insurers, the people who control your insurance is worried about not your health, not your condition, but the cost of drugs. So by the time, just say for an example, by the time you reach to the top of the step to receive the drug that originally your physician ordered, your condition has gotten worse. So, in my opinion, you go right back down the step and try another drug, then another drug, then another drug, and then you reach the top of the step again before you get what you really need. It's crazy. It is totally crazy. That's why I keep telling you guys, become more proactive and all it is the insurance companies have been able to increase their profits by denying you and me access to the treatments prescribed by their doctors now I don't have a managed care I never liked managed care insurances because I know the process they go through. You know, you need prior authorization for this, you need prior authorization for that. You have to see this doctor, or you have to see this doctor, a doctor you have never seen a day before in your life. And before you can say you have been with your original doctor for over 20 years, your insurance coverage changes. And they put you in a managed care. And your doctor is not in that managed care. So that means you have to see the doctor that they place you under. You have to get a referral from that doctor to see your original doctor. It's crazy. And all they're thinking about is increasing their bottom line, but they're harming the patient. That's step therapy. Coming weeks, you will hear more about the foundation that I have formed, the Charlie E. and Minnie P. Hendricks Foundation for Chronic Illness Awareness. You will hear from one of our licensed medical professionals who is on the advisory committee of the foundation, who will be talking about the homeless issue, the mental health issue and the chronic illness issues. We plan on forming and helping those not only in the community of Highland Park, Michigan, but everyone. And in closing, I would like to say to you, my listening audience, I appreciate you. Thank you for listening. And those who are rooted in the depths 
that are eternal and unchangeable and who rely on unshakable principles. Face change full of courage. Courage based on faith. I stand firm in my principles. I'm unshakable when it comes to that. And I care about the underserved that is in this country. So, won't you join me on the next episode of my story, Living with Lupus. I'm your host, Susan Hendricks, and I'll see you next time. expressed on My Story Living with Lupus podcast are each individual's experience. By listening to this podcast or reading our blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. As always, consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having.